Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Did you know that there are two versions of the Christmas story in the New Testament? One is in Matthew's Gospel and the other is in Luke's Gospel. And although scholars debate the differences and try to reconcile the accounts, I think that there is a simple explanation. Matthew tells the story from uh, Joseph's perspective, and Luke tells it from Mary's perspective. Now this evening, this Christmas Eve, I wanna tell the story from uh, Mary's perspective. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Luke chapter one, and we're going to be looking at verse 26 this evening. Now, what do we know about Mary from uh, Luke's gospel? Well, here's a brief list of things that we know. Uh, number one, Mary's father was Eli. Number two, she had a sister, Salome. Number three, she had a relative, Elizabeth. Fourth, she is young. Fifth, she is poor. Sixth, she is a devout believer in God. And seventh, she is very much in love. And that is the key fact that helps us understand the story from Mary's perspective. Mary is a teenager in love. Do you remember what it was like to be a teenager in love? When I was in love with Tegan, I used to wear a shirt like this, a paisley shirt in the 90s. Now, some say that Mary could have been as young as 12 or 13. Some have her as old as 18 or 19. Most people believe that Mary was maybe 16 years of age. And when the story opens, Mary is betrothed to Joseph. Now that meant that her family had formally agreed that she would marry him, but the wedding had not yet taken place. Between the agreement and the wedding feast, there was usually a period of about six months to a year, and during that period, the couple were considered to be married, and they were called husband and wife, but they had not yet lived together, and they had not yet consummated their marriage physically. Following the custom of the day, Mary would live with her parents, and Joseph would live with his, and after the public wedding ceremony, Mary and Joseph would live together as husband and wife. And so everything that happens in Luke chapter 1, you need to see against that backdrop. Mary is 16 years old, living with her parents in Nazareth, anticipating her wedding day. Now, like people everywhere who are, who are getting married, uh, you know, Mary probably couldn't think of nothing else. If, if we suppose that the wedding was about four to five months away, we can imagine that all of her thoughts were centered around the wedding. You know, the wedding invitations, what she's going to wear, what are they going to eat on the day? You know, where are they going to store all of their relatives who are coming into town? You know, this Mary could have never been happier in her life. This would be the most exciting time of her life. You know, for those of you who are in that phase of life, there are some here today, or others who have children in that phase of life, you know the anticipation, you know the longing, you know the dreaming that goes on. And it's right at this point that God interrupts Mary's plans. He's about to ask an unnamed teenage girl to take part in something so shocking and so unbelievable. And what God will ask Mary to do will change her life forever. And yet, how does she respond? 
You know, the message of Christmas is a message about how God breaks in to human history. How God took on flesh and broke into the human story. But for God to enter our world, he often has to interrupt our plans. And maybe there are people here tonight and your plans haven't gone as you had hoped. Maybe you had a plan to retire and uh, live uh, a comfortable life, but you have to continue working because of circumstances outside of your control. Maybe you didn't get the right score that you planned on getting to get into that university course. Maybe you'd really expected in your life to be married by now, but Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright hasn't yet come along. Maybe on a more positive note, God has called you to step out in 2020 and do something completely radical and unexpected. How do you respond when God breaks into your world and interrupts your plans for your life? Well, let's have a look at how Mary responded when God broke in and interrupted her life. Look down in your Bibles in verse 26, we read, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, from these two verses, we get the historical context for the story. You know, Dr. Luke, he records this story, is letting us know that this is not just some piece of fiction. This is not some made-up fairy tale. No, this happened in time and space. This was a, a true story. Now, in verse 26, Luke mentions the angel Gabriel was sent from God. We're so used to, to, to hearing about the angel Gabriel that we don't realize how unique this is. Do you realize that the angel Gabriel, he only appears four times in the Bible, twice in the book of Daniel, and twice here in this chapter. And uh, in contrast to uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, which comes just before this narrative, where the angel Gabriel comes and appears to them and tells them that they are going to have a child while Elizabeth in his, is in her old age. In contrast to that story, Luke stresses two facts about Mary. First, she is a virgin. Verse 27 mentions that fact twice. And the, the Greek word that Luke employs leaves no room for doubt in this issue. She is a virgin. And second, Luke stresses the fact that Mary has no idea of about what's about to happen. Mary is completely in the dark, without a clue that her life is going to be changed forever. Well, look down in your Bibles in verse 28. It says, and he, that's the angel Gabriel, came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, this is an expression that you'll see all throughout the Bible when God commissions people for various tasks. For example, Gideon in the Old Testament, he was threshing wheat in a wine press, and the angel of the Lord came to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon was shocked because he was afraid of the Midianites, and that's why he was threshing wine, uh, hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. And God called him a mighty man of valor, and he was nothing of the sort. You see, God likes to call us as he sees us, not as we are. And I think Mary would have been just as shocked by this angel's greeting. 
You see, let's see if we can imagine what it would have been like for Mary. I mean, remember, Mary is 16 years old. She's at home with her parents in Nazareth. She's just going through her daily duties, daydreaming about her upcoming wedding. You know, what is it going to be like? What, is, what sort of children are we going to have? And what are they going to look like? Are they going to look like Joseph? Are they going to look like me? And then suddenly this stranger, he appears in the backyard and he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Is it any wonder that she says, it says in verse 29, look in your Bibles, we read this, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I mean, if an angel, a stranger showed up in your backyard while you were cleaning the pool or while you were hanging washing on the line or while you were mowing the lawn and said to you, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, I think you too would be greatly troubled. I know I would be greatly troubled. But look down in verse 30, the angel continues. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of David forever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now let's remember again, how old's Mary? She's 16. She's 16. She, she lives in this small town, Nazareth. Nazareth was so small that even one of Jesus' early disciples, when he learned that Jesus had grown up in Nazareth, he expressed the sentiment of most people. He said, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was such a small, dinky place. And so what this angel was saying to Mary would have been, seemed so unbelievable. It would have seemed so far out of her experience for a number of reasons. First, she was going to conceive and bear a son. Remember, she's a virgin. She's never been with a man. Second, she will call him Jesus. Now, in the first century, names were very, very significant. They often represented the character of the person. Now, the name Jesus is a derivative of the Hebrew name Joshua, the successor of Moses in the Old Testament, and it means the Lord saves. So the angel was saying, Mary, you're going to have a son who's going to be a savior, just like that mighty general of the Old Testament, Joshua. Third, the angel said he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. Now, I'm sure at this point she didn't fully understand what that meant, but she probably thought, son of the most high? What? And then finally, the angel said, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. No doubt Mary was a devoted Jew and she knew the covenant promises of God that God had promised David that one of his descendants would reign on his throne. And God had said in the book of Daniel that there will be one like the Son of Man and there will be dominion handed over to him and a kingdom that will know no end. But Mary and Joseph, even though they were for the from the line of King David, I'm, I'm probably sure that they would have thought, why us? I mean, there's so many others, God, who are in front of us. So put yourself in Mary's shoes. How would you respond to this angel? Do you argue with him? Do you say, who are you? Get out of my backyard. 
Do you laugh out of sheer shock at the unbelievable nature of his statements? You know, how do you respond when God interrupts your story? Well, look at how Mary responds. She just has a technical question. <laughs> look at what she says in verse 34. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, this is a perfectly natural question. I mean, Mary is betrothed. She's not formally married. She's never been with a man. So she's like, how, how can this happen? Uh, how can I get pregnant and bear a son? Now, it's important to note that Mary doesn't doubt the angel's words, even though it must have sounded unbelievable. In contrast to her relative, Zechariah, she believed what the angel had said. Her only question was, how is this going to happen? And look down in verse 35. The angel accommodates her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. Now, I find this verse deeply mysterious and absolutely wonderful. As I studied it this week, I was filled with awe and wonder at what this verse teaches about the miracle of the virgin birth. You know, some have suggested, even within evangelical circles, that the virgin birth is not all that important. Because, for example, Mark in his gospel never mentions the virgin birth. Some have suggested that it's not all that important if you have a virgin birth. It's you know, not part of Christian orthodoxy. But not so according to Luke. Luke says quite clearly in this verse that it's because the power of the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and overshadowed her that the child would be born holy the Son of God. Without the virgin birth, without the miracle of the virgin birth, you don't have the Son of God, Jesus. You see, the miracle of the virgin birth is as an absolute necessity for Christian orthodoxy. While there is mystery here, the sense is that the presence of the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and would cause her to conceive so that that which was conceived in her womb was fully God and fully human. It means that Jesus is unique in all human history in that he is undiminished deity and perfect humanity united in one person. Now, we should never read into these verses like some have read into these verses that, you know, Luke is borrowing from Greek mythology. You know, there's some, there's popular thoughts out there that, you know, Christians just borrowed from Greek mythology, that when you read Greek mythology, you read about all these Greek goddesses and gods sleeping with one another and having children, and that, and that what Christians did is they just borrowed that information from Greek mythology. But this account is nothing like Greek mythology if you've ever read it. You see, for the Hebrew mindset, there is God the creator and there is creation. And God the creator is holy. He is separate from creation. And the word that Luke uses here, he says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary. This is not some sort of, you know, evil thing. The word that he uses here, the word overshadow, 
In the Old Testament, it was used to describe how the Shekinah glory of God would come on the tabernacle. And it's used by Luke later in his gospel to describe how on the Mount Transfiguration, how the glory cloud came down on Peter, James, and John, and they saw Jesus transfigured before them. You see, once again, put yourself in Mary's shoes. That would be an awesome thing to be told. That the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God was going to come upon her. And the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. And what would be conceived in her would be holy. The Son of God. Now, just to build Mary's faith some more, Gabriel calls attention to the case of her relative, Elizabeth. Look down in verse 36. It says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Now, these cases are not the same, of course. Mary is a teenager, whereas Elizabeth was over 70 years old. And Elizabeth's conception came by natural means, whereas Mary's came by the Holy Spirit. But that's not the point. The point is this, is that these are both human examples of human impossibilities made possible by the Word of God and the promises of God. And it's as if the angel Gabriel is saying to Mary, Mary, if you doubt my word, just take a look at Elizabeth. She's expecting her first child, even though she's quote unquote too old to have children. If God can do that for her, then he can do it for you. Which brings us to verse 37, which is a verse that's overlooked this time of year. And it is a fantastic verse. Look down in your Bibles. We read, for nothing is impossible with God. Why don't we say that together? Let's say it. For nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe it? Let's say it again. For nothing is impossible for God. He is able to do what he decides to do. If he wants to cause a virgin to conceive and bear a son, he won't do it. You see, the virgin birth should remind us that God can break into our human story and interrupt our plans and he can do the impossible, for nothing is impossible with God. Well, then we come to Mary's response. The angel has laid out God's plan for Mary, an impossible plan, a, a plan that seems so unbelievable. And how does she respond? Well, look down in verse 38. This is amazing. Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, unfortunately in the history of the, world, of the church, the church has often idolized Mary and made her this otherworldly figure and painted halos over her head. And, you know, in some quarters worshipped her. And that, I think, is a great mistake because you miss out on the real Mary and the real power of her response. You see, when your life doesn't go as planned, how should you respond? I think you should respond like Mary. First, she responds with faith. 
You know, because we read this story year after year, we forget the great faith that Mary showed. A stranger has appeared in her backyard. He said, you're going to have a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. He's going to be the son of, of God. And when she said, how's this going to happen? He said, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And what does she do? She says, yes. Yes to the impossible. Yes to God. Yes to his plans. You know, your life mightn't be turning out as you had planned. But you need to say yes to God, yes to his promises. Yes, I believe, God, that you can do the impossible, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. How do you respond? You respond in faith. But I think the second response of Mary is even more powerful. She responded with surrender. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, let's not underestimate what it cost Mary to say yes to God. From this moment on, she would have been the subject of suspicion by her friends. You can imagine Mary telling her friends about what's going to happen and them turning back to her and saying, Oh, Mary. You want us to believe that bizarre story? She would have been subject to the slander and gossip of the neighborhood. You can imagine them coming behind Mary and whispering, did you hear about Mary? She's pregnant. And rumor is it's not Joseph's. And her dream of having a quiet, happy life in Nazareth would have been interrupted. Remember how old is she? She's 16, she's in love, she's dreaming about her upcoming wedding with Joseph. And how is this going to affect all that? Since we know the end of the story, we tend to overlook what a huge trial that, was, that Mary was going to face. She had no way of knowing how Joseph would respond to the pregnancy. Would he walk out on her? Would he humiliate her? Would he divorce her? In saying yes to God, she was risking losing the man she loved. Her whole future was on the line. But this is what surrender is all about. Surrender is saying, God, I'm going to give up control and trust now that you are in control. I'm going to give up my dreams, my plans, my future, my hopes, and I'm going to trust that you are God and you are in control and you can do the impossible. And when you do that, when you surrender over control to God, you give God the space to work in your story. You know, unbeknownst to Mary, she had nothing to worry about. Because when Joseph heard it, and when he was going to divorce her quietly, we read in Matthew's gospel that what happened? <laughs> this is amazing. God sent an angel to tell Joseph the plan. If you want peace in your life, it comes through surrender to God. You know, unfortunately, I know for myself, when things don't go as planned, what often I do is I redouble my efforts, try to control every detail of my life. But rather than moving out into the world in faith, trusting God, I'm actually moving out into the world in fear. 
not giving the space to the God who can do the impossible. And do you know what we find out? You, what you find out if you surrender your life to God is what Mary found out, that God's plan is way better than your plan. You know, she obviously had dreams of having the quiet life in Nazareth with Joseph. And by saying yes to God's plan, it would bring a burden into her life. Before it was all over, she would experience heartache, opposition, slander, confusion, anguish, despair, and loneliness. In the end, she would face the greatest pain a mother can endure as she watched her son die on a cross. But even though it would be a great burden, it would also be the greatest blessing in the next narrative, Mary goes and visits her relative, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaims to her in verse 42, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. What a blessing to be the one through whom the Son of God would come into the world. I know that there are some mothers here tonight and you're very proud of your sons. But can you imagine the privilege of being Mary and bearing Jesus, the Savior of the world? What a privilege. What a privilege to feel him kicking in your womb, to feel him moving around in your womb and knowing what the angel had said, that this one was going to be holy, the Son of God. And I was thinking about this. You know, the story of the Bible begins with a woman, Eve, and her act of disobedience, which brings sin into the world. But here we see, through a woman and her act of obedience to God, Mary, she brings the Savior into the world. Isn't that amazing? One act of disobedience brings sin into the world, but Mary's act of obedience would bring the Savior into the world. Now, Mary was not perfect. We shouldn't think that she was. She was a sinner just like every single one of us. She needed a savior. As she says in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. But Mary stands as a model for all believers of someone who responded with great faith and said yes to God and surrendered her life to him. And maybe as you come to the end of 2019, you realize that your life didn't go as planned. But as we see in this story, <laughs> and as we've heard tonight, Jesus is no longer in a manger. He's no longer on the cross. He's seated on the throne in heaven. And he is reigning. And you can surrender your life to him. Give it over to him and trust him, and he has a better plan for you. Maybe there are some people here tonight, and for the very first time, you need to surrender your life to God. You need to give it over to him. Maybe there are other people here tonight, and you've been running from God. 2019 has been your, you running from the Lord. And you need to just surrender and say, God, I give up control. I give over my life to you. Let this Christmas be a Christmas, which is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about how God came into the world. God with us. You don't have to walk through this life alone anymore. You can have God with you.
He can forgive you of your sin. He can cleanse you. He'll come to live within you. And you can be a brand new person. It's the miracle of Christmas. <laughs> so come, place your faith in Jesus and surrender your life to him tonight. Let's not make Christmas about throff and bubble and just about presents and about Jesus in a manger. Let's worship him. Let's adore him. I need him. I need him in my story. I need God with me. Do you need God with you? Well, the way it happens is through faith and surrender. Saying yes to God and surrendering up control to him. Will you do that tonight? Let me pray. Lord, as a church, as we come to the end of 2019, many things in our lives didn't go as planned. And Lord, some of that was because of our own sinfulness, our running from you. But you've also allowed it so that we would run and come to the end of ourselves and be exhausted. So that we'd realize that there is only one place of rest and that is to come down and to fall at your feet and surrender and say, Jesus, here's my life. Jesus, here's my life. I give it to you. I surrender my eyes, I surrender my hands, I surrender my imagination, I surrender my will. I surrender all of me, Lord Jesus, over to you. Fill me, use me. I want to be used by you, Lord Jesus. I believe that nothing is impossible for you. You may not work in the way that I want you to work, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you came into this world, you died on the cross for me, and you are reigning supreme in heaven. You are king, Lord Jesus, of my life. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners can be reconciled. Let's stand, let's sing to our king.